The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fellas, presentation is key. You can't show up to dinner looking just any kind of way. There your woman is looking like a whole snack and what you look like dressed in some J's and some shorts. Now, she took the time out to look, uh, let's just go with presentable. And it's about time we reciprocate, fellas. But uh, we got to be a little more careful. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't, won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and don't use the same trimmer on your face that you use on your balls, because that's disgusting. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why wouldn't you put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you and your lady. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are finally back. The Bird Calls back on the air. Um, it's been far too long, but we couldn't have picked a better time to come back with the announcement today that Zion Williamson will be making his season de- debut next Wednesday at the Smoothie King Center against the San Antonio Spurs. Joining me today are Editor-in-Chief Ali Cosell, as well as contributors Kevin Berrios and David Fisher. Gentlemen, a momentous day for the New Orleans Pelicans. The return of, well, the not just the return, but the the debut of Zion Williamson of the much delayed uh, start to his career is finally upon us. Kevin, you watched and listened to David Griffin today from a fan standpoint, what's your reaction knowing that Williamson will finally be on the court wearing a Pelicans uniform? Well, it's exciting to finally know when it's happening. You know, we've been waiting so long and, you know, the sort of vague idea of, Oh, well, first there was, you know, a timetable set and then it kept getting extended. And then there was like this talk of rebuilding, um, you know, his mechanics and all of this stuff to help his body better um, react to his power and strength and his weight um, and durability for the long term. And, you know, that sort of left a lot of questions in everybody's mind. I mean, we're not doctors. We're not seeing these reports that they're seeing. We're not seeing these tests that they're doing. So we don't really understand what's happening because it's unprecedented. We, ha- we haven't seen this on any other player before. Um, so, you know, it was a little bit tiring and struggling and we've been waiting forever to open that present that we saw, you know, we snuck in the closet and we saw it in the, in the top shelf and hidden in our parents' closet, ready to open it on Christmas day. And it never came around. Um, but now we have a, a clear set date. Um, so, you know, I'm, I've been tired of answering the question to everybody that asked me at the bar, like, when's he coming back? I don't know. Nobody knows, you know, like we don't have that answer, but now we have that answer. Um, and I'm excited about it. I was hoping it'd be sooner because I really would have 
like to see us play with him uh, in Memphis for sure. Plus, you know, you got game against the Jazz. We get to see if he can recreate that preseason effort where he just dominated Rudy Gobert. Um, and then also, you know, against the Clippers, the star-studded Clippers, it'd be nice to have more of a our full team again. But I really was hoping to see him and Ja go head-to-head and, um, in Memphis on Martin Luther King Day. Um, but, you know, he's coming back. Uh, like we all expected at some point this season, um, but it's a little bit later than we initially anticipated. But once, you know, that initial timeline passed, we kind of started to figure around mid to late January, and that's where we are. And I'm very excited, but can't wait for that game. And, you know, ticket sales seem to be uh, reacting to that as well, If uh, you know, looking at SeatGeek and things like that. Ollie, we kind of gone back. Um, all the way back to last year when, when that, that eight-week moment hit, the first thing you and I did, we were at the Smoothie King Center. We opened up, we looked at the schedule, and we, the, the things we isolated on were three practices, conditioning tests, um, and, and then just that opportunity to make sure that there weren't any setbacks. We saw that compression of games that they just finished where they were basically playing every other night. You and I both kind of looked at this time around the, the Martin Luther King holiday and said that would be the most likely time for return. We didn't give up a, a date, though David Griffin certainly was unhappy about the number of people who did report that. But I think this falls in line really with ultimately what we thought. Yeah, I mean, it's clear as day when you look at Christmas Day, he wasn't even participating in contact yet, right? His first practice didn't occur until, you know, it was like January 2nd or 3rd. And so, you know, it's always a progression. So when you realize that it's going to take at least three to four weeks to hit each of these steps, and of course he has to pass all these assessment tests, which we don't know what they are, but you know, they're based on a whole lot of stuff that basically says, Hey, his weight is okay. His knee is okay. And all this other stuff. So I don't know what people were expecting, but yeah, it just made all the sense in the world that he was going to come back a little bit later than what everybody was hoping for. I mean, I think, David, the biggest thing is everybody was clinging to the six to eight week timetable. Zion has come out and said, I'm ready to go now. I was ready to go two weeks ago. Remember when he said that with his last interview with us? So there was a lot of things that people were just drawn to and basically throwing out logic out the window, which is something you and I have a very difficult time handling. But anyways, that's what happened. But here we are now, right? Who cares who was right, who was wrong? But the fact of the matter is it's good news. I, when David Griffin first announced that he was going to come up and talk to us, I'm like, okay, here's the news. There's an actual date or he's not going to play the rest of the year. So it was great to get that um, acknowledgement of the fact that there's a date they've circled, right? I mean, with how long they've taken, I mean, where what? It's going to be 13 weeks? When, when, it'll be 12, it'll be 12 exactly. From his Davis surgery? No, it'll be 12 exactly. Because the surgery oh, was October okay. 21st. The surgery was October 21st, and he comes back on January 22nd. So it'll be 12 weeks exactly. Yeah, my whole point is it's been a long time. So I have no issues about one more week if they want to check a few more boxes, right? right? I mean, that is the whole key. It's him and his future. We see what Jaws doing right now for Memphis. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what we want to see in New Orleans. We want to see the rookie out there playing well but being healthy. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? So – I mean, I don't know. I don't have anything else to add other than that. I feel like the Pelicans have been transparent that David Griffin wasn't shitting anybody today. He actually came out there. When he says a date, 
you believe it. Anytime he's actually said anything with any kind of confidence, you have to take his word for it because so far it's, it's really been true. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> Fish, were there any comments that Griffin made that stood out for you particularly when he discussed this procedure and this process of getting Zion to this point? There were a lot of statements today that people have, have locked in on, but was there anything in particular of interest to you on uh, uh, that Griffin said? The thing that jumped out to me is that when Griffin was talking about a minutes restriction, it didn't sound like they have a hard minute restriction in force for him. It's more they're going to watch him play and they're going to adjust by ear. If he's looking good, he's going to play. And if they feel like he needs some more time to rest, maybe his spurts will be shorter. Now, that's not to say he's going to come out and play you know, 30 minutes a game coming right out of the right out of the gate. But I feel like maybe our ex- expectation on the front end was more he's going to have a pretty strict minutes restriction. And what I heard from Griffin today makes me feel like on the minute side of things, it's not as rigid, which is good to hear. The The biggest thing to me about when they announced it and when they announced he's coming back, my biggest concern was that it was going to be for media buzz or something. And so it would be centered around a nationally televised game. The first game that jumped out to me was what if they try to get him out there for the ESPN game in New York? They didn't do that. Then the next big game that looked that you looked on the schedule was the Clippers on ABC. And the Pelicans looked the schedule. They have their next three games that they're playing that Zion's not expected to play. Two of those are on national television. They have the ABC game with the Clippers and then the TNT game on Martin Luther King Day against Memphis. And they said, no, we're going to sit them out those. And I think some of that goes back to the idea that they're not going to push him into the spotlight too much and they don't want it to feel like he's the savior. So they're passing on all of those national TV games and he's going to come out at home, but against San Antonio on a game that's just on Fox sports, New Orleans here. And then it'll be, you know, on whatever San Antonio's local affiliate is in league pass. I think that is something that gives me a lot of hope. The Pelicans didn't do any of this with media or buzz or changing the perception of the organization in mind. They did it all to try to do best by Zion and for the franchise in the future. And if there's anything about how this process has worked out that should give Pelican fans hope, I think it's that. I agree with that. Um, I think that the fact that um, Griffin really looked at this, and I think both his and Alvin's comments reflected the schedule and their current condition. You look at this roster, and and they both alluded to the Detroit game in particular because they were down their top eight players, as Griffin stated during the thing, during his press conference. And that has hampered their ability to practice, which has hampered their ability to gauge Zion. And so that's why today's practice, which we thought would be the third and final, ended up being a light practice and further, I think, pushed this timeline back. So the injuries continue to impact things in that circle, no matter where you look. And then to your second point 
um, the management of his time. Uh, I think that, you know, again, you have a group of players who have come together, who have started to figure out roles. Zion has a lot to learn. I think people think this is a plug and play situation where you're going to drop him on the court and he's going to give you 25 and, and 10 every night. And he's got to figure out how to play with these guys in real situations. He's going to get subbed in different combinations. Alvin talked about figuring out a rhythm for him with that. There's just a lot to do. Um, Ollie, when you look at that with those challenges early and you look at also the schedule that Zion and the Pelicans will be playing over the next two weeks, a lot of playoff caliber teams in this early part of the second half of the season, um, he's going to be tested early. Yeah, I mean, that Spurs game, right? That kicks off, I feel like, a six-game stretch where the Pelicans have got to grab some of those wins considering where they are in the Western Conference with the teams that they can leapfrog, right, to get to number eight. Spurs, of course, being right there, that number one team. They've got to get more wins than they lose to. And then the Grizzlies are coming up the week after. But after the Spurs game, it's the Nuggets and Celtics. So you've got not only tough matchups, but you've got a lot of games that you've, you've just got to get. So, yeah, I feel like this is going to be a heck of a challenge on the coaching staff because um, we've seen the way this team likes to play, right? The, the ball is usually going to be in the half court anyways in Drew or Brandon's hands, and they've operated well with just favors operating as a lone big man. Even though we didn't earlier in the year, we didn't like Ingram at the four. They've managed to make that work of like, because let's face it, Kenner just falling off a cliff. You can't give that guy minutes right now. So they've been fortunate that Ingram's been able to handle the four, and then a lot of guards have stepped up, right, with rebounding, whether it's been Josh Hart, even each one more, but that they've also contributed in other areas as well. So they've made it work. So integrating a guy who's not a three-point shooter, who's a big space eater, who, like you just said, hasn't even played with these guys since back in October, and those were really four meaningless games, right? They weren't trying their asses off. I mean, they may have played a couple minutes straight in there where they actually were given a darn, and it was like all the starters out there. Maybe they were building something, but that would have just been one-on-one. Like, you and I always know Lonzo. His connection with Lonzo seemed to really develop in preseason. But other than that, you don't take anything away from those games. So, yeah, it's going to be like pushing some kind of reset button. And right now, we're 9 of 13. But, again, we can't go through another bad stretch. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough challenge. And it's not going to be a seamless transition. Even though everybody's got to understand Zion's not a volume scorer. He's not a Carmelo Anthony or Kobe Bryant. He's a guy that, as we saw in preseason, which does matter, those observations, he doesn't need the ball in his hands to and launch 18 shots to feel that he's fulfilling that role. That's not him. So that's one area that at least is going to make things easier, but how much easier, I don't know. Because you're right. Here's another question for you guys. Whoever wants to answer this, you feel like Zion should start or should he come off the bench for the first few weeks? Or you think maybe that would even make more trouble? In finding that continuity. Kevin, why don't you take that one first? I mean, I've heard, didn't Gentry come out and say that he's going to come off the bench to start start him out? Um, I thought I saw that quote maybe yesterday. Did anybody else see that? Yeah, I don't think he's going to start. I, I, that's not the impression that I got today. I think he's sure, but you think today. Sure, but you think it's a bad idea, I guess, too. Yeah, I, I forgot about that quote, well, I mean, that's been, yeah. that's been declared now. I hope that that doesn't last very long because, you know, for the long term of this and, and making things work, you want him to be playing as close to what he's going to be playing like going forward. So you want him back in that lineup, starting lineup as soon as possible. But at the same time, even if he doesn't start, you know, as Fish said, the minutes restriction thing seems a little bit um, 
loose. So you're hoping he's at least getting, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game and then getting up to that, you know, 30 minute mark or so um, quickly because you want, you know, it's just this thing with this team that we've had forever where it's just a constant period of adjustment because somebody's out, we acquire somebody new, somebody who was struggling starts going off and then we got to reintegrate somebody else. And then, you know, so it's just constantly moving around. So you want, to establish some continuity as soon as you can and really build what this team's like and what the rotation's like, because if you're constantly just uh, adjusting on the fly or having to to regroup because of injuries or easing somebody else in or getting somebody familiar with another role, then you're just constantly taking steps backwards as you're going forward. So, I mean, hopefully it's just an ease in situation, one or two games coming off the bench. And then right after that, he's back in, in the fold as you want to use him, Um, because you want to see what that looks like. You want to see what, how him and Ingram play together. Ingram's been fantastic without Zion, but is that going to change um, once Zion comes back? You know, what's Drew Holiday going to look like a guy who's traditionally struggled at any time that there's been a change in pecking order and a change in role um how's he gonna adapt um one of the good things about zion which ali sort of alluded to is that you don't really need to create a lot of offense for him because he's gonna get offense and transition being the fastest guy down the court getting alley-oops he's gonna cut he's gonna get putbacks but you don't really have to work really hard to create shots for him because you have ingram you have reddick and you have these other guys and lonzo who's now finding a bit of a groove offensively um that can run stuff and then, you know, Zion can feed on the, on the outside at, at the beginning. And then you start incorporating sets for him and, and easing people in that way, I think. Um, so I, but again, I think it's very important that you get him quickly into the role that you want him to play so that you can figure everything else out as well. Fish, I got a question for you, but first I want to uh, throw out a number. Okay. Here's the thing that, that kind of supports what Kevin is saying. Because I do, uh, I do think you don't want him not starting for so long. Even during this 13-game um, stretch where the Pelicans have played so much better, in the first quarter, they are 27th in the NBA in net rating at a negative 10.1. Adding Zion to that starting lineup gives you two things. It gives you, like, like Ali said, a guy who does not need the ball to score and it gives you more rebounding right off the bat. And I think that, again, it creates it, you, you create some early looks that are easy for this team to get going offensively, which we know that they have struggled with at times. So absolutely, um, you don't want him on the bench too long. Um, and I don't think if there's no minutes restriction, I think you let him adjust visually to the speed, see what's going on, and then you do what you did with Jackson Hayes. You throw his ass out there. And you let him sink or swim because that's ultimately what you're trying to figure out. Fish, what do you think the biggest adjust, adjustment for Zion coming back will be? I think it's defense, but what do you see? I do think it's going to be defense as well um, because we talk about, I mean, you guys have talked to the Pelicans players about it over these last 13 games or so. The defensive scheme has changed. Bizdelic has taken some player suggestions and applied those to how they're going to, to how they've been playing defense and how they're going to play defense going forward. Zion 
like he's been at practices and saw that being implemented, but he, his experience in the doing is with the scheme that they were trying to implement on the front end in October, the defense has changed how they, how they're running. The defense is different. And now it's not going to be, you know, 75% effort like you see in preseason, it's going to be a full go. So, I mean, the game is going to be a different speed for him. And we've seen all of the rookies where they had periods, especially early on, where they were struggling. And you can see them slowly picking up more of it, um, both Hayes and Naw, um, and, and improving incrementally. But I think one of the biggest things about getting Zion into the starting lineup as early as possible is if he's starting the first and the third quarter, it gets easier to get him two or three bursts exactly. a game of, of solid minutes. You can play Thank him you, six minutes. You can sit him for, I don't know, four minutes, five minutes, the rest of the first, first quarter, and then get him out there for, you know, what, three or four minutes maybe in the second quarter and then see how he's feeling. And then do you want him to finish the quarter too to try to begin to build that how do we finish quarters and games lineup? Because you want him playing those high leverage minutes as soon as possible because the game changes then. The other thing about trying to get him into the starting lineup earlier, as we've seen the Pelicans do this and the NBA does this league wide, teams start bigger at the beginning, their starting lineup is bigger in the first quarter and the third quarter. And progressively, as the game goes on, coaching staffs and adjustments and everything, the game gets smaller. It'll be easier for Zion to be a power forward beside someone like Derek Favors, who's kind of, you know, the organizing principle behind the defense. If he's starting, if you start bringing him off the bench, then he's going to play a lot of his minutes with Jackson Hayes. And while we love the potential of both of those players, we also need to realize that right now where those two 19-year-olds are at, if we play them both even against reserves, the defense might be a disaster. Now, the offense, because you have the two of them, might be incredible and you can offset that. But I think it's easier to get Zion to the hopefully eventually the three bursts that you're going to have and to get him to play against more NBA power forwards, where I think he's going to have a substantial um, athleticism advantage. Whereas if you play him with the second unit, he's going to play against a lot of small forwards that are slid down. Now he has a size advantage there, but you're, it's going to be much more taxing for him. He's going to be chasing guys around stuff, or you're going to ask Jackson Hayes to do that. I think the sooner you can get him into the starting lineup, the better. And like like both Kevin and Ollie have already spoken about, the sooner you can start to integrate Zion with Brandon Ingram kind of as the cornerstone of your franchise, the better. Yeah, Great points that, by Fish. I, I real quick want to add this. Mm-hmm. Isn't it always been common knowledge that for a player coming back from injury or whatever the case, you want to be careful with them? You don't want them sitting on the bench for X amount of minutes and then coming in cold, right? So that that's my whole premise I was going to get to, but I'm so glad Fish talked about those bursts, right? You can control it better. Usually reserves, if they're good reserves, if they're really good players for you, they play long stretches. 
They'll come in at the end of the first quarter and play down to about the four-minute mark of the second quarter and even more of a stretch in the uh, third, fourth quarter if that's working. I would rather, as Fish said, Zion, have it be broken up in the smaller sections, but also I would love for him to go straight from pregame warm-ups to right on out there. So I just want to throw that out there real quick. I, I think that's what will happen. Uh, like you said, I think they're going to want to keep him warm as soon as possible, get him out there. Um, and then, like you said, you can bring him out, even if they're not five or six minute bursts, if they don't want to do that in the first couple of weeks and just run it in some four minute segments, six minute segments, get him out and then do smaller ones. Um, I think that that's certainly likely. But again, I look at all the areas where the Pelicans during this recent stretch where they started to come together, even with the injuries, the, the biggest areas of need continue to be what getting to the foul line. Yes. Zion can help there. They still struggle with their overall shooting. They are beneath the Detroit Pistons right now over the last 13 games and field goal in true shooting percentage. Zion certainly will help with that. Talk about his efficiency um, in, in scoring the ball. And then, again, the Pelicans have been much better on the boards as of late. But with that short bench, you don't have a ton of rebounders right there. And just changing that up, just having somebody out there who is a confident rebounder, same way we saw with Derek Favors, even when he was still slightly compromised, but healthy enough to do his job, the impact that it had, Zion does not have to produce huge numbers to have a huge impact on this team over the next, uh, over his 38 games, expected 38 games uh, the rest of the way. All right. Um, if that, I think that'll cover the press conference. I don't think that was there anything else, Ollie, maybe that, that, kind of stru- stuck uh, stuck with you today. Alvin really didn't say a lot today um, other than what we expected. Drew Holiday spoke today. He's not going to play um, tomorrow against the Jazz. Um, so, But we don't know. It, it, it's still up in the air whether he's going to play. It's still not. up in the air. He's questionable. That's right. He's questionable. The only but ones that are out for sure are Kenrich and JJ. Is it Kenrich and JJ are both out? Because he didn't really mention, but Brandon is is questionable. Yeah, and so Favors, Favors is questionable, and Drew is questionable. Um, no, I think I think I think Drew is. I think JJ was doubtful, but not out. I'm not if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I haven't even looked at that, so sorry. I I, I can't. No, that I, I wanted to mention is, though because you initially yeah. asked anything else that stood out for me. Yes, there was when Griffin went out on the ledge. Right, we feel like he will be a bigger and better version of himself than when we saw him preseason. I want to clarify that. I don't want people thinking, okay, he's going to go from a 23-point score to a 35-point score, and he's going to jump even higher. You know what I mean? He's not going to have suddenly this greater impact. I think, honestly, what Griffin was referring to is is that whole kinetic chain that he talked a little bit about, to where he's going to be able to um, utilize his movements better, more efficiently. There's certain things that I think that's what he was trying to point to rather than, like, say, any kind of stats or anything. So even though it was great to hear, right, that we're getting, you know, an improved $6 million man or whatever you want to term, it's just the fact that I think Zion's just going to be in better shape. And let's face it, I've never once thought that he's in, like, perfect, great NBA 82-game shape yet. So if he's anywhere closer to that, I'll be happy. But same thing with the landing, jumping, all that stuff. So I just want to clarify that even though it was fun to hear it, Let's just make sure that people understand it's not that this guy's going to be a better player on the court. While you're talking about that, something else that Griffin said struck me. 
I asked him directly about the perception um, outside because he was very perturbed. You could see that he was upset about the fact that people had been reporting about the team and he had not given out information. He was adamant in the fact that it wasn't coming from the Pelicans. But the words that he used, he didn't talk about fans. And I'm not saying this as a negative. I'm thinking to me it was a very positive thing. He talked about the credibility of the organization and within the building, with Zion and with the rest of the organization, his credibility with them and making sure that things weren't leaked and messing with Zion. You don't hear general managers talk about that kind of thing. Culture continues to be the driving force behind most of Griffin's comments. And I was really interested that he dropped that in in a conversation about outside perception. He brought it back inside. Kevin, do you want to jump in? Uh, No, I mean, I don't have anything really to add to that. I mean, you know, the outside is always making noise. And I think, you know, he's right. It really only matters with what's happening inside. I mean, we see what happens with outside media, you know, um already especially the the espns and and bleacher reports and all that they choose pick and choose narratives and try to force them on teams and try to create you know the storyline to sell their product and you know it's all about what's happening inside of a building and not what is created on the outside so i mean i get that um and yeah i mean there's i don't think there's a lot more to add to it i think it's nice I just think it's nice that we have, well, executive vice president of basketball operations, right? Someone in the front office in charge who says, "I'm going to get out in front of this and not just keep on trot Alvin Gentry out as our spokesman and just hide behind the curtains." That's yeah, that, that's all I'm going to say about it. That is a huge difference. I don't. We've never in the in the years that I've been covering the team, and I, I don't know if Ollie, if you have any different experience, but. How many conversations did we ever have with Dell where he would answer questions for 11 minutes? Never after a practice, not once. If it wasn't media day, I don't think we ever, or a player signing. I don't, I don't, I can't recall him talking that long. Or trade. Yeah, exactly. Um, The big thing to get out of the way is that immediately, and I get it. It's we're we're less than a month away from the trade deadline. Um, But David Griffin said this as well. He has not seen this team as a group. He cannot evaluate them properly. Um, He cannot assess their value in the open market. He has not really, and I I doubt that they haven't paid attention to other players. That's what you have people there to do. But I I don't think they're focused on other players. Do you think that the Pelicans are making a mistake strategically and not um, scouring the trade market for potential fits? Or do you think that they're right to wait? Uh, Ali, we'll start with you on that Well, <clears throat> I'm going to go based on what I've been hearing. And the fact is that they're actually, like what Brian Windhorst recently said, I think they are going to be buyers. So I think they have been doing all their due diligence in trying to acquire somebody that could help this roster. But they don't know exactly who that's going to be when Zion comes back, right? I think in our minds, we kind of know the three weaknesses that we've seen mostly through this year. Right, it's a legitimate backup point guard. It's a, a sizable defender at the three-four, and of course, a legit center behind Derek Favors that can anchor a defense. But suddenly, 
all those kind of get thrown into question on just how much they need it with Zion back because suddenly everybody's a lot, a lot of roles are going to be kind of shifted around and especially assignments right on who you're going to be guarding on the other end. So I know that earlier, Dave, remember during the 13 game losing streak, how we noticed players were getting more disgruntled. They weren't talking to us about it. Nobody ever got upset. There was no locker room fights, but you could see the disappointment. You could see players trying to give each other pep talks, coaches giving players pep talks. So you could tell, right? And things were not good. And we, of course, along those lines, heard rumors of guys either wanting out. So it was realistic and logical to think that each one more, Drew Holiday, hey, maybe the Pelicans should move him. But I just want everybody to know that there's been a significant departure from that, from what I've heard and seen. So like I said, if the Pelicans can maintain on this kind of, not maybe nine of 13, but wins out of 13 games. But if they can just keep basically lapping at the heels of that eight seed, I think up until the point of the trade deadline, then I think it's more likely than not Griffin would try and find a piece who it would be. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? We can talk about that now or maybe on another pod, but I've got some ideas like a Marcus Morris, I think would help. Yeah, let's not, I don't, I don't think we should put names out yet. Okay. Um, yeah, we but can I save that. Today, what we can say, I think, I think the more responsible thing for us to say today is, okay, we, like you said, we've talked about the, the positions of need and let's see, do we have a consensus on that? Kevin, what would you, if you, if, only two positions, if you, if you were looking for something and you said, I got to augment this spot, where would you start? First off, Ollie, how dare you slander Nikhil Alexander-Walker by saying we need another backup point guard? I mean, <laughs> preach the gospel. <laughs> hey, more seriously, I've been saying for a long time, I mean, that what they needed to do is to bring in another backup center, a guy that is just a rebounder, screen setter, rim protector, doesn't have to be a splashy name, just somebody who's serviceable because Daniel Okafor's dad can't come to every game. So we need to have another per, another body to throw out there because we've seen favors deal with injuries. You know, obviously, if we're going to make a, a playoff push, Jackson Hayes has been incredible. But, you know, we need another reliable guy to help help step in. And I think Ollie's right with a lot of what, what we're missing in terms of uh, rebound, rebounding, rim protection, playmaking. But by throwing Zion in there, he's a guy who does have a good handle, is a nice passer. He helps in that department on playmaking. Um, he's also a solid rebounder, and he projects to be a very good defender. Obviously, being a rookie, just in his first taste of the NBA, he's not going to be that dynamic defender already. But if he can make that leap that Jackson Hayes made just as quickly, then that sort of mitigates some of that need as well. So I still think another body – at the five is important, and I wouldn't mind seeing another uh, serviceable uh, wing player, a guy that could spell Brandon Ingram, uh, help some perimeter defense and maybe some outside shooting. Um, but, um, yeah, I think those are the two biggest positions of need because, again, you already have Lonzo. I have a lot of faith in Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and then, you know, obviously you can put the ball in Ingram's hands as a point guard. Um either playing from that guard position or playing from the small forward position, depending on the lineup. And then you still have, uh, you know, Drew who can be that initiator. Um, so I, you know, I don't think that's as big of a need as it, as it used to be. Um, but I would definitely go, I mean, no matter what happens, I would definitely try to find a way to add another big body in, to this lineup. Fish, what about yourself? A stretch four, unless Nicole, 
um, Nico Melli is going to keep on playing like he did against Detroit. That's what the team needs. That's something that might be more easily obtained. Um, I mean, maybe it's somebody who's like a tweener, who's like, you know, a three and a half. Right. Um, where they call him a small forward, but it's really he's best if you play him at power forward and somebody that you can play when hypothetically you go small. Um, a Thaddeus you Young type. Yeah, something like Thaddeus Young, um, Juan Hernando Gomez, um, the guy from Sacramento, if I Bielitsa. Bielitsa. Yes, yes, that one. Um, so so guys like that would be the best fit. Um, I don't I don't look at this Pelicans roster and say we need more point guards because what we saw before the Drew Holiday injury was the point guard was pretty much manned at all times by either Lonzo or Drew. And now we saw what kind of what um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker has done with his time on the bench. I, I, I still love I, – I love his game when they put the ball in his hands, and I, I don't think he's best served when they decide that what if we just treat him like he's a small forward and put him in the corner. Um, but, I mean, that's just what I've seen. He's electric with the ball in his hands, and he needs more time with it to get better at it. And what better time to do that with sec- than with second units? Um, this team has so many guards right now. Um, they need, I mean, you could say they need a wing, but a lot of what they've been doing lately, Josh Hart is playing a little bit more shooting guard than I'd like. Um, you can just call him your small forward. Like he can just be your backup small forward behind Brandon Ingram. I know people look at his height and say, well, he's six foot five. Um, I think we've seen enough of Brandon Ingram to know that he is probably the second or third best rebounder on this team right now. He, it's not just the rebounding numbers. If you're actually watching the game, he gets contested rebounds, you know, amongst trees. He goes and attacks the ball. That's what this team needs. So, yeah, you can play him at small forward and he can just be your three and D guy. That, that, that's a great slot for him. Um, so I, I don't look at this team and think that they need much of anything from three and up. What they really need is they just need a guy who can shoot. And maybe Melly can be that guy. Maybe, you know, the minutes and he's going to start to get some confidence. But I'm with you guys before you even retort. Defensively, he's just not there at all. No. So. And, the, <laughs> and the problem with Melly for me is that he gives you he's basically given one good game a month. You know, he had the the opening night, he had one in November, he had one in December, and now he's had one in January. And the biggest things that keep him off the floor are his defense, or lack thereof, and his hesitancy to just be aggressive and shoot the ball. He shot it extremely well in Detroit, and he's been given that green light by the staff to shoot the ball. That's what they want out of him. And I, the one thing I don't understand about him is that the shots are available to him and he hasn't taken them. So he does, hasn't taken them. And that to me is disconcerting about a guy who is a 29 year old rookie. That bother anybody else? Yeah. yeah I mean, he's trying to fit in too much, you know, he's just trying, he's worried about fitting in and making his teammates better, which is in theory, a good thing, but there's times when you got to be, aggressive and and take what's there for you 
And that's just going to get him minutes on the floor because, like you said, defense is not going to get him minutes on the floor. Rebounding is not really going to get him minutes. I mean, he's not a terrible rebounder, but, like, he's not changing the game with his rebounding. That's going to earn a minute. So he needs to be that guy that can hit the open shot when it's there. Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's hit these questions. Some of them uh, we kind of covered. I, I wanted to get that trade stuff um, out of the way in, in the um, you know, just off the top because I just – it's too early. Again, for a lot of these teams, you still have so many teams in contention that the players that are going to be available, I think it's going to be a lot of stuff made – at the last minute um, with guessing. So let's see. Um, we got a question from Nola 2000s His concern is about the number of picks that the Pelicans have. And I know, Fish, you've talked about this as well. So I'm going to let you take this one. How many picks do you think the Pelicans, you know, are willing to package um, over this summer or even this season? Uh, because they, they don't want to get exponentially younger at this point you don't want to add too many more young guys to the mix at this stage so what are they going to do with the picks that they have in the immediate future well let's talk about the picks first really quick the Mm -hmm. the pelicans and i'm i'm looking over the next three years so the duration pretty much of zion's rookie contract the pelicans have four first round picks their own three, and then one from the Lakers, most likely it's going to be the pick in 2022. And then the Pelicans have eight, Ocho, eight second-round picks over the next three drafts. And a lot of those second-round picks are valuable picks. Um, We're going to assume that, you know, the Cavs' first-round pick doesn't convey, and so the Pelicans are going to get the 2021 and 2022 seconds from Cleveland. Cleveland's one of the worst teams in the league right now. Um, Washington, they have Washington's second round pick this year and then Washington's second round pick next year. All good. The Pelicans also have their own um, second round picks in 2020, 2022. They have the lesser of theirs in Chicago in 21. And then this year they have Milwaukee's, which is probably going to be 59, 60, which is just, you know, that's just going to be some grease for some trade at some point. I can't imagine that they use it. And if they do, I can't imagine who they pick ever comes to the league. With that, there's no way they're using all those picks. There's absolutely no way. But those are the currency that uh, of trades. I would be surprised if the Pelicans actually enter draft night this year with a first-round pick and three second-round picks you know, in this draft, um, I I would be, I I would expect at least one of either the Pelicans second or Washington second and Milwaukee's go out in some trade between now and the trade deadline or in the lead up to the draft, depending on how the market works out. 
Um, I don't think the Pelicans are going to be hankering to move their first round pick unless it's for the right deal, because I think the Pelicans are going to look at Luzada coming over from Australia as their like their really invested pick that they're they're bringing over this year. That's their rookie, and they might want to add a, another rookie to that, but no more than one more so that they'll have two rookies coming in this year, not you know this raft boat of rookies like they had during this season. That's my cuckoo clock that my daughter has. I apologize. <laughs> that means it's 10 o'clock. Okay, life is happening, man. Uh, Kevin, this one is perfect for you because it comes from your writing partner and our friend, Chris Connor. Um, what's the perfect life comparison to Jaleel Okafor's game on Monday? I knew I was going to get this question when I saw it. <laughs> and I feel like if I answer it, I'm just going to get myself in a bunch of trouble. So I would like to defer. <laughs> No, um, come on, Tab. Is no, he allowed no, to I'll put Kevin on the spot. Oh, you watch the game, right? And you yeah. were shocked as anybody, but you more so. This is this is teed up for you, Kevin. This yeah. is given. This is I mean, manna from heaven. I made a joke in the group chat, and I'll just use that as like my joke was that I thought my girlfriend had daddy issues until I saw Julia Locafor play in front of his father. And that's what I'm gonna. Do. <laughs> oh my, uh, Okay. Okay. There's a lot of line stepping that's been going on. Lately. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, I tried to. I tried to get out of it. You know. We had to do it though. It you. It was only appropriate for you. <laughs> it 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 was your question. It's all jokes. All of Geo's family that's listening and friends. And if Jaleel's family is listening to Mr. Okafor, we love you. Yeah. Please come to more games. Yeah, please. Uh, (laughs) Come come to everything that I ever have to do because maybe you're just a magic luck charm, you know? (laughs) Um, Ali, uh, this one comes from, uh, let's see, we're skipping that one. Okay. I'll give this one Doug Koppel. And his question is if the Pels play well to finish the year and miss the playoffs, how much value does that carry as compared to making the playoffs? Is it worth fixating on the playoffs or should we be focusing on improvement and developing continuity? It's easily the latter. The playoffs is, is kind of a reward that you're trying to get, but it's not necessary because this work has to be put in. You want to see how Zion's going to play with all these teammates of his. And because there's a lot of decisions that are going to need to be made this summer. I mean, granted, Brandon Ingram's is an easy one. You're offering him the max done deal. Pelicans also, you have to think are going to operate over the cap. And so it probably makes all the sense in the world to go ahead and bring back or bring in Derek favors. Unless, you know, some crazy trade comes out of nowhere where you feel like the center that would be incoming would be a better fit along Zion, but at the same time, also not kind of step on Jackson Hayes's toes too much. That's why I think I think Fish has been at the forefront of this, and let's 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 bring Derek Favors back. Let's bring him back for at least a couple of years. So I'm getting on board with that. But outside of those two guys, yeah, I mean we don't know. Does Zion work best with certain players? Is it just better to have, surround him with shooters? I mean, can this guy pick it up defensively to where he could stand right on his own two feet and be not even just a decent defender? It was help. I mean, he. I don't know if anybody remembers, but in preseason he was a disaster. So much so that we were saying, hey, this time off with this knee surgery, 
might do him good because he's got to watch game tape because he was honestly just getting lost on simple pick and rolls, right? Any kind of switches, there's no communication with, with the whole team, granted, but still, Zion was a part of that problem. So we don't know the answers to any of these questions. So the best bet, of course, is you just want to see him play. Play as many of these final games as you can. Of course, you want them to keep on winning because everybody always has more fun when you're winning, but also you want them to kind of feel like they're building towards something because you want to see some progress, right? Both in, um, in, in individual skills as well as on the results. So everybody's happy, not just the players, but management, fans, you name it. So it, it's a big thing, but the playoffs, David, yeah, long story short, it would be great, great, great big step for this team because that's what was everybody was talking about this past offseason. We've had glimpses to where we feel like they could be that team, right? But it's it's not the it's not the thing that you know is the number one priority to finish out this season without that. It's the development of this team, especially around Zion. Yeah, I get that it's the fans' wet dream to be the eighth seed and play against the Lakers in the first round. That people would just gush all over themselves for that opportunity. But to me, the only benefit of going to the playoffs for this group would be you don't have a lottery pick because I, I, I don't think a lottery pick benefits the Pelicans in this draft, unless you're getting number one or number two. So, and, and, and that's very unlikely to happen, but this next question, I've, Kevin and fish might fight over. So I'm going to throw this into the okay, middle of the it. arena and we'll see who takes it. It's about my guy. It's mine. It's, it's, from, it. it's from Finn, the human four, one, two. And it's a very simple and direct question. How do we get in all more minutes? I'll go ahead, David. I can see. So, uh, the, to circle back to trading people, we could trade <laughs> Frank. <laughs> that's that. That's how you make sure that he gets more minutes. Um, a more realistic trade idea would be, you know, if things really start rolling and they look at Etwan's contract and can we package Etwan's contract with. Darius Miller's contract and take on a bigger salary for a guy that we feel like is going to be a core piece, then, you know, you take out a whole real rotation player. And then I, even, even the early part of the season when Nall was shooting absolutely horrendously, I still felt like when he was on the court, either with Lonzo or with Drew, He's so malleable to e- either of those guys. He's such a good fit as long as the Pelicans will let him handle the ball and don't just put him in a box in the corner. Because um, I, I think it might have been Ollie that said on the front end um, that we the Pelicans would need to get a backup point guard. I still feel like the best avenue for the Pelicans to get that is to grow it internally with Naw. Because if – I mean – I, I feel like he's he, he's got it. There's there's just something when you watch him, he's got it. And what we saw for that brief stretch when Drew was out and Nall was really given the keys to the second unit, it was tremendous. So let's just keep up with that even, you know, once Drew comes back. So that that's how that that's my plan to get Nall more minutes is move at least one of those guards at the trade deadline, because you're, you're probably going to have to move a player, you know, not of significance, but a player that can actually play in the NBA. Um, each one is probably the most likely, but um, Frank could be a young guy that some team says we want his restricted rights um, and to see what we have. 
All right. Kevin, you want to add anything today? No, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, but I, I think if they do think that the playoffs is an option, that player that they're trading, if they're not bringing in a guy that they need to dump salary to get, is definitely trade Frank and keep Etuan, um, the veteran, more reliable outside shooter, um, and, and build that way. But I, I, I agree 100%. I think Nikhil's been fantastic, even when he's not scoring, his attacking, his ball handling, his – his vision and you know his ability to to create jaw dropping passes has been incredible, and I want to see way more of him than I want to see uh, Frank Jackson for sure. I mean, you know, I I'm not as down on Frank Jackson a, as Fish is, um, but I I just think that <laughs> realistically, he's not a guy who's gonna get a lot of minutes when this team is winning in, in part of the future, you know, I don't see a high ceiling for him. I think he is what he is and he's serviceable. He's an NBA player. He has great athleticism. He's been better at mm. catch and shoot. Um, he's not, he doesn't have that great handle. Like we said, um, he's not a great playmaker, but Nikhil is a guy that, sh- that flashes greatness. And I think there's a lot of greatness in him. And the way you're going to unlock that is by letting him play and giving him those minutes instead of giving it to a guy who's clearly not really part of the long-term future. And I, and I, you know, like I said, I agree hundred percent with fish on that. Yeah. With, for me, my, my thing on Frank at this point is he's a guy who will spend the next eight to 10 years in the NBA hanging around and he will be on teams because people will like him and he will come to practice and he will work hard and he won't cause any shit on the bench. But at the end of the day, there's not one thing that I would say that he excels at. He right. is good at some things. He is great at nothing. And he is bad at some things that he needs to be average at. And so I, I just don't see, like you said, Frank is the biggest impediment to Nikhil Alexander Walker's life. And if I'm Nikhil Alexander Walker, I am giving Frank like food late at night that disagrees with his stomach. I am making sure that his Uber is picking up some, another Frank Jackson I'm like, whatever needs to go down to keep that dude away from the building. If I'm Nikhil Alexander Walker, I do that. I know Canadians are nice people. I know that they have a history of being polite, but you got to take this one, my friend. Like, oh, Canada, let's this drive. Uh, look, I'm team light skinned, but Frank, yo, there's nothing left for him in this one. Ali, do you, do you, are you out on Frank too? have to be and it sucks you know <laughs> I was always so high on hoping to see that athleticism translate because he is such a good dude because he is a super 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 hard worker that well, can't be understated in this NBA where so many come in kind of half-ass it and their careers never pan out the way they should Frank actually works his ass off and it's just been sad to see that whether it's been the confidence is- issues this year Lack of, you know, development in areas that are very important as you just rambled. I didn't say ramble, did I? That yeah, you, you did. About David. <laughs> but honestly, yeah. I mean, look, it's time. I, I can see why Alvin does play him, though, guys, a little bit. And we saw it against the Pistons where he presents a body and enough quick feet to get into uh, a lead attacker on the opposing team if it's not Drew out there or Lonzo. So that's about the only positives I can see with this game at this point. That's not enough. That, I mean, it's crazy that J.J. Redick has a higher rebounding percentage than Frank Jackson, who can jump out of a gym, right? So 
it hasn't translated. So, yeah, I agree with you guys. I mean, it's, it's time for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. It's time for somebody else to be getting some of those minutes. Yeah, he's, like, athletic for nothing. You know, like, he doesn't have the handle to be able to use that athleticism for any good, you know. So that's that's just a problem. He just needs to be an off-ball cutter and, and he's, a spot-up shooter. And he's not – he doesn't have the instincts as a cutter that you need. And his outside shot isn't as reliable as you need. If he can develop one of those things or develop a handle, then he could have a much better career. But – you know, how many years are we going to wait for that? Yeah, here's, and a good, here's a good example real quick. In that game against the Pistons, he had, I think, three offensive rebounds in about two, three-minute span, and two of them came, like, back-to-back. Great. That's that's awesome. He extended the possession. But on one of them, he grabbed it. He's about six, seven feet out from the rim in the paint, and he's surrounded by Pistons, but he kind of froze like a deer in headlights. Like, oh, my God, I got the ball. Okay, I guess I'll shoot it. But it's the way he shot it. It reminded me of being back in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, playing with kids who were terrified when they would catch the ball and be like, "Okay, I guess, I guess I have to shoot it." Like they would feel the pressure, and you could see it. And I felt like I saw that. So that's that's why you know you just have to be out at this point. He's played enough minutes, enough games for him not. He shouldn't be feeling like that. Basically, he's getting thrown out there, being entrusted with minutes, and if we're still seeing it, that's a huge problem. All right. Since we're talking about Frank, I think we also need to throw in Kenrich really quickly. Are, have, has Kenrich, in my opinion, Kenrich has been exposed. Do you guys feel the same way? I think he's just not quick enough to guard threes. He's not strong enough to guard fours. And his shooting has been, you know, people talked about Lonzo. Kenrich makes Lonzo look like Steph Curry. Yes. He has made nine of 24 free throws on the year. What the hell is that? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's similar to what Ali said about about Frank. You know, he's one of the hardest working guys. He's, you know, he's that hustle guy. He he's a great rebounder for his size and his position. He's an okay ball handler, but like you also said, he doesn't do anything other than possibly rebound great, and then he does something terribly. Um, so it's just it's just tough because you like the guy because of his work ethic and because of his motor and his hustle. Um, you know, and, you know, it's fun when he's playing well, you know, he had that little stretch of playing well at the beginning of the year and we were all excited about him. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's just something nobody that, more than Preston, you know, <laughs> he's not here to defend himself. Goodness. All right. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um, a lot of people are still asking why are the Pelicans? There are two questions. Why did the Pelicans decide not to keep Zion out for the entire year? And then why would they ever have considered it in the first place? I think to me, David Griffin answered that very succinctly. um, Just basically saying that was never on the table. I don't think it was ever on the table. We talked about it at the beginning, uh, occasionally at the beginning of this season, that if it was bad enough, then sure. But if he could play, he was going to play. And I think that's the consensus from our end, as well as what Griffin says. Anybody else want to add anything to that or we, or we can move on? Well, I mean, if he's healthy, he plays. So that's why he's going to play. And they never considered sitting him because that was just media narrative. Like, we need to stop discussing, well, Bleacher Report or Slam Magazine or whatever garbage media outlet has said, what if this happens? Or what was it? Reggie Miller on a TNT game said mm-hmm. he might set out. That's 
like that's not actually news that's just speculation like there it is not derived at all or whatsoever in fact it's just somebody throwing something at the wall and hoping they might be right um the pelicans like like griffin said this was never under consideration he's going to come back when he's healthy and he's going to play he's healthy even even if the pelicans were 8 games out of 8 if he's healthy, he should play because those NBA minutes. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. You said the eight games out of eight. It's the inside thing. I, I apologize to people who are listening, but the eight games <laughs> just reminded me of the Twitter exchange that you were having today. And I'm sorry for laughing. That's not professional at all. Well, I was. That was the inside joke there. But yes. like, even if they were eight, ten, however many games out of eight, it doesn't matter. Like, even if they were mathematically eliminated, Zion Williamson only has so many games under his rookie contract. And if you want to maximize his performance in year three and year four, you want him on the court when he's healthy. The the other part of that, which I got a lot of pushback today from people was, well, he should be out there as soon as possible. No, he should be out there when the team feels like he's 100% ready to go and not a moment sooner than that. And the reason is, is that if they don't feel like he's ready to go yet, then they must believe, their training staff and everything else must believe, if he goes sooner, his injury probability increases to some unacceptable level. Not to say that there isn't, every single time an NBA player steps on the court, there's injury probability. But, you know, this extra week they feel like is going to reduce it to a point where it goes from an unacceptable level to an acceptable level. And the Pelicans have been very proactive at that, about that. And that should also be something that we as Pelican fans um, should be very confident in, is that this team, in terms of how it's been built, in terms of their asset management, in terms of their player management with Zion most especially, has been focused on the long-term how do we build the team of the future? Not just we need to do it right now. Um, and I don't know why anyone would want anything less. But just because you don't need it right now, if he's healthy, he should play because these are NBA minutes and NBA experiences that he could that he could learn from. But just don't push him out there until you're confident that he's ready. Griffin made this real easy. Somebody asked him about Blake Griffin, compared his situation to Blake Griffin. I am so glad David Griffin said it's not even comparable, right? David, we were listening to that. Yep. Where Blake Griffin suffered a fractured kneecap. Zion Williamson had basically a little bit, you know, I, I call it a, a cleanup of the knee, right? There was some meniscus they had to cut off. It was basically a simple procedure, much simpler than what Blake Griffin went through. Joel Embiid, same thing. He had what, a broken a foot fracture in yeah. his foot, right? That's, those are the type of injuries you hold a player out for the season. That's where you can begin that type of speculation early on in the season. Zion Williamson was never even remotely in that same level of concern. So for people to say that, and then you have people, idiots, excuse me, not people, idiots, like, and I'm going to call him out, Reggie Miller, saying the crap that he said, you know, based on whatever, he, he basically pulled shit out of thin air, you know, let's, let's face it. And then people then running with pictures of Zion looking a little heavy. Like, I saw Chris Bosch do it on social media. I, I've even forgotten who else has done it. So, yeah, completely ridiculous stuff. But yet, look how many fans kind of are now asking this question. Why we even got this question tonight. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, Ali, I mean, we've 
seen Zion up close. He doesn't look, to me, noticeably different physically as far as his weight goes. He's not 265 now. He's not 300 now. It seems like he's basically in the same weight place. I don't think the Pelicans ever had a concern about his weight. I think it was just how do we figure out his body so we can measure him properly. But people have these, these people, like you said, pulling shit out of their ass and talking about this. Just because you have not seen someone like this before does not mean he's fat. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get toned. He is a 19-year-old. His body will get more toned and developed as he gets older. These are very simple things. And so, Kevin, I'm going to throw this to you because we also got this question. Why lately all of a sudden are people making it a point to go back and make criticisms of Zion, whether it's his game or pointing out I would have taken John Morant ahead of Zion or he's not going to do this or this or that. Why all of a sudden in this last few weeks has this kind of ramped up in the media? Because uh, people hate themselves and are unhappy with the destructive <laughs> society that we've all accepted and we allow terrible things to happen on a daily basis without revolting and it just makes us miserable people. So we project that onto other things and just try to belittle things. And I'm, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but I'm not really because that's what it is. I mean, it's just miserable people like trying to make everything else miserable or trying to win miserable people over as followers to whatever thing that they do whether they're writers or reporters or you know whatever it's just it's just attention seeking and and it's really just that it's just you know the player haters ball basically <laughs> i mean am i wrong no you're not you're not i mean we we have had some some references in this one today we've had some very just good stuff in this one and i'm enjoying very hurtful what you said about my mother's coat (laughs) i don't want to let this go without something that did strike me as very funny today and partially because i was in the middle of it but again the grand announcement of one antonio davis that's what i call him now since he's on the west coast he's antonio um he had a chip release party and I didn't know that was a thing, first and foremost. I've heard of music release parties, film release parties, all kinds of stuff. I didn't know that there were sneaker release parties. But he had a chip release party today. And what started Fisher's conversation, which is an awesome one, and if you go to Twitter, please go find it. Um, but, yeah, the reason that Anthony Davis left New Orleans was so that he could have opportunities to make – Space Jam 2, and, and, and have his own flavor of chips. Again, this persistent narrative that New Orleans is not able to manage as a basketball market, it just keeps going on, and we can look around the league. You just saw people, they talked about it today. In Detroit, there were maybe 4,000 fans at the game um, when the Pelicans went up to the Pistons. Detroit is a much bigger city than New Orleans. We've seen it in Atlanta. We've seen it in Brooklyn. We see people not coming to games, and yet the focus is always on New Orleans as a small market. I'm tired of it. How you guys enjoyed it? I don't care what other people think. A bag of lime and jalapeno ruffles to make you feel better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you, Grub. Sour cream and cheddar, especially baked lays. That's the way to go. It's it's there's no doubt. Sour cream and cheddar is number one. It's no doubt. I absolutely agree on that part. But 
seriously, the biggest thing to me on all that is, and this is something that I think I've got from from David Griffin and some of his in some of his appearances. He does he does concern himself with the narrative in terms of the fact that he wants to have as much control over it as he can, but in a lot of ways he does not give a shit what other people think about the franchise and the team and how it's being run. And I think in New Orleans we need to kind of adopt the same mentality. Yes, all the time people are going to say that the market can't sustain it while the market sustains the Saints and LSU and all these other things. The market is perfectly capable of sustaining it, one. Two, I mean, we live in a global age. Uh, I was reading an article, I can't remember what website it was on, that Zion Williamson, even though he has been out and has not played, is still one of the most searched NBA players in the entire league on Google and on YouTube and things like that. So stardom will find the people with the personality and the gravitas and the game that fans enjoy. And we already know that Zion has all those things. And once he starts putting on, on the court of the Pelicans will be an insanely popular team. Um, I mean, we're seeing that a little bit just last night um, with John ja Morant and Memphis, also a very small southern city that is thought of as more of a hotbed than a basketball hotbed. Put a good product on the court, put a likable star on the on, on the floor, and the rest of it takes care of itself. And really, other than the trolls that you're going to see online, just ignore them. Don't okay. don't give them the oxygen. They don't they don't deserve it. Well, guys, I think we've uh, covered a lot, and the Pelicans have a busy stretch ahead of them uh, tomorrow. Utah, kind of a revenge game. Uh, what, Drew Holiday said he kind of looked at it as a playoff series today, Ollie. Isn't that what he said uh, with yeah. the Jazz? So, I mean, the, the Pelicans are certainly very intent about getting this win, especially after the way the last one happened. Then, of course, Saturday with the Clippers, Monday with the Grizzlies, next week again with um, San Antonio. Uh, it, it doesn't get easier, but it's, it's going to be very exciting over the next couple of weeks. And we promise you folks who are listening, we are going to be regular in producing podcasts. We're going to be back for you and giving you information, opinions, all of that. Um, of course, go to thebirdrights.com. Check out our stuff there. Um, and you can also listen to me on Hard to Paint with David Grubb on Sports 1280 or the iHeartRadio app. And, guys, is there anything else you want to throw in before we get out of here? No, other than go ahead if you guys want to start sending us some uh, questions because we are going to focus on a trade podcast next. We're going to go into some names like we didn't do tonight. Yeah. Um, I yeah. We're, we won't be regular, but we'll be regular. <laughs> <laughs> We should end with that. The bird calls, but he may not answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, remember, share it, rate us, and um, continue to support the team. Uh, as Preston would say if he were here, let's dance and let's go Pell.
listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today.